there's two versions of the metaverse. One is a closed metaverse where there's one big metaverse we all live in or a few big metaverses that are controlled by companies or like small groups of people. And, and that's like not a good future. We don't want that future to happen. And the other version of the metaverse is the metaverse is built by thousands and millions of developers and creators. It's a kind of a set of thousands and millions of worlds that people visit for different reasons, to play and collaborate and so forth. And the metaverse is not controlled by one company, but it's a network of, of thousands and millions of worlds. And that's the version of the metaverse that is, I, I think is positive. Nobody controls and owns the metaverse. It's built by creators that collaborate and, and build it together. And what really enables the, the, the second version, the better version of the metaverse is interoperability. We need to have avatars to travel across worlds, identities, we need to have money that travels across worlds and all kinds of other stuff that needs to get solved for that world to have a chance against the big platform. And that's why we're focused on solving that kind of outer service for open metaverse, essentially. Welcome to Overnight Success, the podcast where we celebrate the incredible journeys of entrepreneurs and visionaries. While there's no such thing as true overnight success, hearing their stories of determination, persistence, and resilience can inspire us all. Presented by Draper University and hosted by Chris Joinu. I want to quickly mention that none of this is investment advice or financial advice, trading advice, or any sort of advice. And we do not recommend any cryptocurrency or investing in any projects. We're just showcasing the stories of founders. Welcome back. Overnight success is Chris Joinu. And today we have Tumu Toki co-founder and CEO of Reddit, Ready Player Me. And he is at the forefront of a rapidly evolving world of avatars, 3D avatars. Everyone is using Ready Player Me. These avatars have the potential to transform the way we interact with each other, especially in digital spaces, the metaverse. This guy is uh, everywhere. Ready Player Me is everywhere. And a really seamless way to add avatars and characters and stuff to your game, your metaverse, whatever, your digital environment. You just head over to Ready Player Me. Great chat with him about everything metaverse, blockchain, how big brands are working with him and what he thinks that the future's like. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Timur, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, Chris. I'm happy to be here and I'm doing well. Fantastic. So let me start at the beginning, if you don't mind. I go far back, so it depends on where you want to go. But was there a mother or father that was an entrepreneur? Or can you pinpoint maybe in your childhood when you started selling baseball cards or delivering newspapers and something and kind of entrepreneurial journey? Sure. Yeah, actually, both of my parents parents, yeah, small businesses, true hustlers. So that's definitely where I got the entrepreneurship bug. And then I had some early businesses, like 12 or 14, I was selling some food and ice cream and stuff like that. And like my own stand on a dog fair. That was the fair, like a talk show. That's uh, that was the first uh, venture, I think. But then, yeah, like I had, yeah, from 17, started messing around with all kinds of tech stuff. Fashion tech company before already pet me when I was like 18 or 19. And then Wolf 3D already pet me uh, straight up to that. Can you t- talk a little bit about those early companies? I'd love to hear about the fashion tech business and to be wearing your own brand. Yeah, no, it was like I had basically two, two guy designer girls starting a, a fashion company and it was like sustainable fashion. And we were aiming to do create sustainable fashion and kind of made to order stuff and, and things like that. It was pretty early stage. We did, had a few collections. I was like 18 or 19 or something like that. So it was definitely a good, good first experience. But yeah, we moved on to avatars after that. And then you said, well, what was after that you mentioned? Avatars. Yeah, that's uh, basically I started messing around with 3D printing and 3D printing was just coming along. Consumers start printing stuff and then that led to scanning objects to print them. 
And then that led to scanning people. And so that kind of felt just fascinating and interesting. And then we actually built the scanner, our first scanner to like scan people and print them. And then there was just kind of messing around and trying to figure out what to do in school, essentially. And then at the same time, Oculus was acquired by Facebook. And we realized VR is probably going to be a thing. And avatars in VR play a huge role. And back then, there was no way for you to create an avatar that kind of resembles yourself and expresses your real identity. And that's when we decided to dedicate our early careers on kind of figuring out a way for avatars for people on scale. And then LinkedIn travel across made virtual worlds and games and so forth. But you also, is it just the technical side? Are you also d- designing stuff as well? Yeah, so I mean, I started computer science uh, and then actually graduated business school. And I'm not designing stuff no no 3d art and that how it works but i'm not, definitely not a 3d artist so it was just the scanning and, and stuff but obviously picking the trend very early on right so this becomes what the early the formative years for for any player me would you say yeah i guess we caught the trend a little too early on it was definitely it was just when vr was coming along there was no way to scan a person with a phone or any kind of scalable way the only way to get uh, scan someone was to go into a studio and make a Hollywood great scan and pay like $5,000 for it. So our goal was to first just build the hardware to make that easier and then to collect data of people's faces and scans and then build a more scalable software solution using that data. So we started from hardware that taught us what people like about avatars and, and the fact, and we learned the fact that people really don't want realistic avatars. And then we scanned tens of thousands of people with hardware. And then using the database, deep learning was just uh, coming along as well. We managed to build a deep learning solution that would take a selfie and convert that into like different styles of avatars based on your selfie. So they kind of resemble yourself to personal avatar. And then, so that was the kind of the figuring out what to do, figuring out how to build a scalable so- software solution coming from hardware. And that was, we started eight and a half years ago. So it's been a long time building out there. And then after we built the kind of the SDKs and the software solution for creating out there from a selfie, we started selling that to gaming companies and generally kind of an enterprise customer. So our customers were Tencent, Huawei, ACC, Vodafone, Verizon, and, and many others. And we ended up licensing our personal avatar SDK to those companies. And then what we learned is that they actually need the entire avatar system around the avatars. And we ended up custom building the avatar system kind of tech for those companies, the body types and, and like the clothing systems and hair and all the stuff you need around the avatar besides the personal avatar. And we've custom built them for enterprise customers for four years. And that's how we really learned kind of what it takes to build a great outer system and like many different styles and many different engines and specs and, and so forth. And then eventually took all the, the background from hardware and from custom building out the tech and built Ready PME into kind of a, more of a plug and play outer system for developers. And yeah, we lost it like two and something years ago. Now we have one to 3,000 companies using our product. Crazy, man. Before we dig deeper on Ready Player Me and, and everything there, I, I wanted to, I guess, step to the side a little bit and talk about Estonia, right? So I'm just curious. So I was part of the deal with Draper Startup House. I sold the Estonian government just randomly yeah. on the, promoting the digital nomad visa. Really yeah. kind of pioneering stuff. And I'd just love to just hear a little bit, if you don't mind indulging me, maybe mm-hmm. for the benefit of the audience, about like the startup community there and how it came about too and yeah, yeah. I'm Estonian and grew up in Estonia. 
currently in Estonia as well. I'm based in New York, but I had the kind of inside perspective of the space coming and growing around here. So yeah, Estonia is like 1.3 million people live in Estonia. Capital is like less than 500,000 people. And there's a thick 11 unicorns in Estonia now. $11 billion companies for a very small country, which is quite cool. And the government itself is very kind of tech driven. We have e-residency, so you can become an e-resident of Estonia without even coming here, start a company here, run your business here. So I all started from first, like when the when Estonia became independent again after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the government itself took a very kind of tech-driven approach. And they built this kind of protocol for different ministries to communicate with each other. And they started this kind of program to teach kids basically how to program. And then from that background, first company that was built in Estonia was Skype, the first big one. So the founders are Swedish, Danish, I think. One of them is Estonian, but it was purely like engineered and built in Estonia. And that was obviously a big success and it got sold. And then that created the creative belief that we can do it. And it also created first capital here that was invested back in the startup. Some talent that worked in Skype in the early days that started their companies like Wise. There's also more of the other kind of Estonian big successes. And then each kind of new startup and each new success creates more people that have done it and know they can help the next companies come along. Each success creates more capital that is invested back in the ecosystem. So it's definitely fueling itself. And now it's so many new young founders, like I am 29. I, the 12th founder, I think is 28 or 9. It's like an 8 billion dollar company. Marif is a unicorn. I think the founder is like 27, 28, something like that. So it's like a lot of young founders just hustling and making stuff happen. Can you see now with a little bit of perspective, what you think made that magic happen? Was it just really super supportive community or can you pinpoint anything that you think was different now that you've, you know, traveled the world and probably spoke at a number of events and all around the place? What you think yeah. makes any of that a little bit different? Yeah, I think it's the first success of Skype showed that this is where the opportunity is. We can do that coming from the Soviet Union. Like you can't have a corporate career. Now you can. But back in the day, there were not that, that many corporations. <laughs> so every, everything was just built from the ground up. And I guess that's where it really started. The opportunity was to be an entrepreneur. And then we had the good successes from tech. And I think that could have drawn people to, to do that. And now it's just the whole ecosystem. People are supporting each other. There's funding. There's everything you need to build a big company. And maybe the other thing that could have helped is we're such a small country that we have to think global from day one. So if you're building a company in Germany, for example, like you could build like a moderately sized company just in the German market, which is limiting actually. Because in Estonia, when you start, you don't even think about building something for the local market. You have to compete on the global scale in your industry like from day one. And that kind of pushes people to think big. Yeah, I don't know. And it's like just a very practical culture. Like uh, just do things that make sense. <laughs> I think that's it. Great. And a shout out to Tim Draper. He was in the seed for yeah, Skype. Just so it's good. I didn't, wasn't leading in there. But yeah, definitely. I think the first US investor in Estonia. So I'm, awesome. I'm almost positive he has a the residency as well. And yeah, just coincidentally, like he was on a call with the founder of Neo. We were promoting a program just the other night. And he was talking about the energy of the founder from Skype walking in that door. And just be like, and Elon was the other one too, but they were the two he talked about. And it's just sometimes you just awesome. feel it when they come in the door and they're like, they're going to change the world. Or Elon just saying, hey, I need to save the world. And they just mean it. Um, Pretty crazy stuff. So fantastic. So moving forward to Ready Player Me, crazy timing, I imagine. The market's a little bit funny at the moment, but 
all in all, I think you were, did you feel as you were building these things and as you were developing these partners with Tencent and the Vodafone and everything as well, you have the kind of the boom in the chain, kind of everyone's excited about the space and metaverse is becoming a big thing. And did you feel like you yeah. got the, the benefit of riding that wave a little bit as well? Definitely. Yeah. Like the kind of bet we made a long time ago when we started the company was that people spend more time in virtual worlds and games and metaverses and social apps, whatever, like they, they spend more time in 3D virtual worlds, social worlds and social apps, and they'll use avatars in those worlds. And because of that, they need a better way to represent themselves. And also the kind of economy around the avatars will grow over time. And that's still what we believe in. This will continue happening for the next decade. It definitely took time for the world to uh, get there and understand avatars. We've been doing this for eight and a half years. So we saw the kind of shift. And it started happening like maybe a year before the kind of pandemic started. But with the pandemic, it really kick-started the whole market. And people were locked at home and they realized they already live in a metaverse. There's a 2D version of it. And there's probably going to be a little evolve and become more 3D. And people will spend time, even more time in virtual worlds. Yeah. And the pandemic was the Kickstarter. And we actually launched Reddit I mean, in May 2020. It was like a few months after the pandemic started, really. And that's like, first it was like VR meetings virtual conferences, things like that. That was our first focus, but then anything above and beyond. <laughs> so it was perfect timing after uh, very bad timing for six and a half years. So like eventually it was right timing for us to become experts in something that became valuable, obviously valuable now over time. We kept at it and kept building and, and grinding and, and figuring out the better way to do it. Uh, and then we were just ready when the trend started. And crypto on Web3, I think the kind of contribution from that side is just the philosophy of like how to build things is changing thanks to Web3D, building more connected, more open, more interoperable platforms. Developers are more more happy to experiment with cross-game outers. People see more value in having an outer that travels across worlds and having outer assets that we can use across the metaverse that are not closed in, in one world. And that's with the kind of metaverse and people understanding that this is where we'll spend a lot more time. That's a perfect storm for what we're doing. And so on that, and I've been thinking of asked this to a few of the guests now, and I'm going to continue to ask it because it's similar to that early entrepreneurial kind of moment is, can you pinpoint in your mind that time when you came across blockchain and we're just blown away and this is how we put it all together. We had half of it. Now we've got the rest. Is Was this yeah. a moment like that? Yeah, so first, like, I started mining Litecoin in 2014. <laughs> so that was actually before starting with the BAMI or just before. So in the first office, we had Litecoin miners, and it was so fucking hot that we just had to stop them. <laughs> Anyways, we were trying to run, like, two rigs uh, in the office, which is, like, 12 square meters. I don't know how many beat. So that's where the journey started. I wouldn't say that I really understood deeply what the value of blockchain is or really saw it back then. It was more like, okay, I can mine this stuff. This is cool. I don't know. It's fine. Sounds exciting. I didn't really understand it. But then I actually stole my rig and my all, my, all the crypto I mined or most of it to like fund this company. And then, and then 2017, 18, something like that, that I came back crypto and then I understood the kind of where this is really going or I thought that I understood. Yeah, but I can't pinpoint the moment. I think that you have to start doing stuff in crypto yourself, buying stuff, selling stuff, just using all the different products and tech that are out there, trying to understand from the kind of consumer perspective. I think that's where it really clicks. 
generally. And I did like a good NFT, I don't know, wave as well last week, last year, which was very fun. And I think if you're operating the market, like you have to be the market if possible. We have some, we're selling some NFTs and we'll partner up with NFT projects and, and companies. So if you do that, that you're not an NFT buyer yourself, that's just not right. So anyways, I think just using the products in the space and being a consumer yourself will give you a good. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then just switching gears, there's so many things I want to cover, but if I can go a little bit deeper into the business side of things for a minute, in terms of fundraising, you've got some of the biggest investors, I definitely want to cover like it is the Web3 podcast. So I'm going to go a little bit further into that. Absolutely. Sure. I talked about, I, just, I think I just saw today that some sort of DAO between Sandbox and Upland and all of them together, which sounds so cool. You're probably in it. Um, but before that, the fundraising, right? Is that a bit surreal to have Andreessen and stuff? Were they approaching you? Did you hit the the road and, and start pitching people? How did that all come about? Yeah, we were in, in touch for some time and then we didn't actually go out raising, but it was the right time. And like they are perfect partner for us. They, they invested from both the kind of crypto fund and the new games fund. And we operate between those spaces. So it sets a perfect mix for us. It was obvious and, and yeah. It is, of course, crazy as a founder. When you start and build those things, you hope this will happen eventually. But when it's closed, then it's then it's going to happen, <laughs> basically, because uh, you're doing well and you understand your business. Eventually, when it comes, then it's not as crazy because it's obviously. But yeah, it's like it's hard to appreciate the journey when you're in it because it's so crazy and so intense. But uh, I try. I was yeah. I'm helping you really the memories right now as well. Yeah. And, and, and was it like, I imagine there must have been some, just some crazy moments when you've just got to the office and some big brand is knocking at the door asking you to create avatars. Can you just quickly talk about some of those fun moments, oh, those moments you're proud of? Yeah. Yeah, I think the moment when you start realizing you have a real product market fit is like crazy because you know, people start writing you in every possible channel because you can't go back to people, brands, partners, all this stuff. And so you're like trying to understand if you're like imagining it, if it's actually happening. Are you like fooling yourself? That whole period of is it? It seems like it is. So I think that's just uh, a whole thing on its own. So that was very exciting to realize you've managed to build something that the world seems to need. Yeah, but, and then of course, yeah, when the first kind of bigger brands start coming in, that's cool, but it's mostly just the developer kind of love and just seeing that people appreciate the product, they're like fans of the product, they send letters and, and write us, like, that's the best value you can have, just seeing people being excited and, and getting value. But I can't, I can't pinpoint a moment, it's something like we, we did a job with Adidas, for example, Adidas out there's an already for me that uh, worked on all the different games and platforms we work with. And it's, I know this is coming, I've seen the concepts and stuff, and then it goes out there, oh my God, this is like the most coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so like impressed. So those moments are definitely the, uh, you know, give you a lot of energy and it's great. Very cool. Now I mentioned the DAO and so I wanted to just talk a little bit about this, this, the interoperability, which is very cool, right? So I think the concept, but the idea that you have these complete ecosystems being built and each of them have their, their kind of fans and all of that and the idea that wouldn't it be cool to move between them and maybe take assets with you along for the journey and all yeah. that kind of stuff this was something that you guys saw very early on yeah yeah that's right how did you what yeah. did you just picture it already like you, you definitely see it from my position with developers that are just with algorand or Chain or neo or whatever they just love their, their tribe yeah, I'd love to see how you were thinking about that and how obviously it's played out to your benefit and how you come together in the future. Yeah, first, like, why interoperability is important is 
it, it's we're very confident we'll, we'll spend more and more time in virtual worlds over time and the metaverse is happening and that's inevitable and then there's two versions of the metaverse one is a closed metaverse where there's one big metaverse we all live in or a few big metaverses that are controlled by companies or like small groups of people and and that's like not a good future we don't want that future to happen like the ready player one future is not like a positive one actually and the other version of the metaverse is the metaverse is built by thousands and millions of developers and creators it's it's a kind of a set of thousands and millions of worlds that people visit for different reasons to play and collaborate and so forth and the metaverse is not controlled by one company but it's a network of, of thousands and millions of worlds and that's the version of the metaverse that is, I, I think is positive nobody controls and owns the metaverse it's built by creators that collaborate and and build it together. And what really enables the, the, the second version, the better version of the metaverse is interoperability. We need to have avatars to travel across worlds, identities. We need to have money that travels across worlds and all kinds of other stuff that needs to get solved for that world to have a chance against the big platform. And, and we believe avatars are very piece of that and a very obvious piece of that and then that's why we're focused on solving that solving the outer part of that that kind of outer service but open metaverse essentially so that's like how we think about the space i think from early early on when we were scanning people the idea was to like have a database of scans or avatars that people can use to play different games. And then that idea evolved. And that was always the thing. Like, how can we build an avatar that is usable across many different virtual worlds? Like, we've been thinking about that since the beginning. And then eventually we realized, like, we can build an avatar system that is so easy to integrate for people. That it's, it's not that I got the custom business, custom avatar building business we did before. And if you can, there is an avatar system that is adopted by dozens of companies, then those, all these companies use the same standard, the same outer kind of standard. And then it's actually easy to take it out from one of the games and make it work in all the other games because it's like we, we're kind of the bridge that, that does that. And so it was like wanting to do it, then figuring out the technical solution for it, which is ready for me. And then watching it just at the beginning of the pandemic. And then during the next year or two, like it's more and more obvious for everyone that interoperability is, is important. But yeah, it's been like a thing we've been trying to, trying to achieve for a long time. Can I ask, and I'm sure you got an opinion on this one, real like the, just the concept of like identity, right? And I think, and you know, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, is it like a, a you get the I guess the crypto purist, and there's some sort of like privacy there. We all want to be private, right? And then you've got perhaps regulation coming in and some blockchains that are working specifically around that kind of stuff. And I'm just, is it that I have one avatar where I'm me and it's verified and then I, then I have my other version where I'm, when I want to be off the grid and not be identified. How do you see that identity piece playing out? It's not an easy question. Yeah, no, identity is definitely a very, it can be many things. Our approach, of course, is to start from the kind of visual represent, representation of the identity, which is the avatar. And that's the part that people have closest emotional connection with. That's, that's like you. And it doesn't need to look like you. It can be a different outer for different experiences and it will be a different outer for different experiences. Maybe you don't want to be a human at all in some, some places. So that's the visual part of the outer. Then it's like, what's the identity? Is it like a username? Like, it could be that. It could be metadata you carry from between metaverses. It could be the things you own. It could be the things like the kind of your real life identity you want to only reveal to some parties. All those things around around the visual identity. Our focus is avatars and making sure that avatars travel between worlds. And that is very that's a very complex problem on its own. But there's a lot, a lot of things we can add on top of that. And what we will add depends on what users need and what developers need. But 
basically. But identity is not just an avatar. I think it's the whole thing from how you represent yourself. Visibility as an avatar and, and every other way. Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious how this kind of these social graphs and stuff play out in the metaverse where I'm like, am I dragging along all my photos and life music surrounding me? Yeah, I'm just, yeah, yeah so I guess it's time will tell. Like your identity, the visual identity you have in the web tool world now, it's basically a social media profile. That's, you have an Instagram identity, you have a LinkedIn identity, Twitter identity, all those are different and built for the, for the, for the use case. But yeah, it, it's just a very big word that means a lot of things. But yeah, we're, we're very focused on the visual part of it. Of course. And then what's next for you? What's on eight years on? Obviously, you're just hitting the you know the tip of the iceberg, but what keeps you bouncing out of bed? That's not a problem. <laughs> I need to find more reasons to uh, stay in the bed. <laughs> yeah, like what we are building now in the next coming years is first like making the audio system more flexible, more customizable for developers to fit into many different worlds, which includes different styles of avatars, which includes including other avatars already by me. We could make Fortnite avatars travel out of travel from Fortnite to other games, building out things like that. Then it's building custom content creation tools, so like outer fashion and accessories and things like that. So individual creators can create assets, brands can create assets that people can buy for their avatars that actually work across many different virtual worlds. So it's like, like our, our goal always is going to be getting the more and better developers to use Ready for Me and when they're building um, a new metaverse or virtual world experience or game and so forth. And everything we'll build is just aimed at trying to make the product better for those developers, helping them also acquire, acquire users from the existing network, helping them sell cross-game assets in their game that work across the metaverse and they're not stuck in, in just one experience. All of those things are very exciting problems on many levels, from like just the technical solutions to like how the business model of that is going to work. Everybody benefits and profits from it. Like we believe that the, the real mainstream adoption of interoperability for developers comes from just like being like interoperability being a better business model essentially selling cross-game assets needs to be a better business for, for any, each developer than than having a closed economy and and that's like where we want to get to like it has to be as such an obvious thing for everyone to build an open platform with cross-game authors and other cross-game services compared to a closed world and last question Tim. thanks for all taking it. like digital fashion i was gonna end there because it was like a brilliant wrap up but and i think yeah. digital fashion could take another another entire episode but i am curious just with for one final question is that's like a business model that didn't exist even just a few years ago perhaps or not to the level it is now is it is there things that you're seeing now you've got this incredible perspective you know, developing right at the forefront where you see some industries and stuff that are just going to be like beat in your opinion that weren't there yesterday yeah first like kind of skins and digital fashion avatar skins are already a, a very big and kind of business on its own in-game. Fortnite sales sells more than $2 billion worth of skins every year. People already see the value of having virtual fashion and having skins. And now what's happening is like the fashion brands understand that's a big opportunity and some of them think like they'll actually generate most of their revenue from virtual fashion in 10 years than from the physical fashion. And th those are like big fashion brands. So a lot of those kind of physical brands and, and also individual creators of, of like virtual fashion are trying to get into the the metaverse but there's no obvious way to do that like you can go to individual games to make deals with them and create custom assets for them they're separate for each game but that's not the very scalable process so what we're trying to do is build an hour 
sensor that already is metaverse. It already travels across worlds. And then you can just uh, integrate your virtual fashion to the avatar, but then start to working in all this different game. And like virtual fashion is not useful for the user unless it's useful as a collectible, but that the market for that is small. For most people, virtual fashion is only use- useful if you can use it in a game you want to play, or if you can use it in a virtual world that you want to visit. So that is the challenge, bridging those worlds, connecting those worlds of fashion creators, the brands, the individual fashion creators, and, and making these assets usable in games. So it's logical end user experience as well. And buyer skin, you can use it in all the different games you play. That's like the world we want to get to. And that's the world that needs to exist for virtual fashion to also get to happen on scale. Otherwise, it will always be like a brand going to a gaming company and licensing their IP or having some kind of a deal where they just and the assets are just stuck, just stuck in, in that game. And that's not a very scalable model. That's what's happening today. Got it. Yeah. Almost a, an afterthought or a gimmick or a brand kind of opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. If you go to Adidas website and buy a virtual fashion from there that you know that you can use in a lot of different games and virtual experiences, like that'll be a cool experience. Or come to a Reddit Mart marketplace to buy it from any of the games and use it across the whole network. So that's what we're trying to get to. Tim, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Love the conversation. And best. Thank you, Chris. Nothing you need it. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Overnight Success. We hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning about their inspiring journeys. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And remember, with hard work and dedication, anything is possible.